0: I really feel it's my time. Think it's my year. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel it's my time. Think it's my year. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel it's my time. Think it's my year. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel it's my time. Think it's my.
1: Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you for joining us on a couple believe podcast. You know, it's always great to talk to you. And obviously your mindset has always been inspiring to me and the way that you go about your life and your business in general. But you know, we met a few years back now when you invited me on your podcast. And honestly, I had a great time with your great conversation. And uh, you do such a great job with it. Can you tell me how you got into the podcast world as well?
0: Poof. Well, I, I really enjoyed our conversation, uh-huh. uh, first of all. And I'm humbled to be on your podcast. Uh, jumped at the opportunity as a, uh, a matter of our schedules aligning. Because I think we're both similar in the way that we, uh, we try to chase a lot down. On a, on a day-to-day basis, and that's what I did with the podcast. Really, I'm—I would consider myself a very curious and inquisitive human being, <laughs> and uh, and that works really well with this form, right? Where where you can sit down and listen to someone talk about experiences or skills that they've acquired over time, and really get deep into the weeds. And, and I think that's that's where a lot of the growth lies versus yeah. our tendency or human tendency right now to consume social media content, which could be in two to five second bits. Are you deeply learning? Um, So I had been listening to to podcasts for 15 years, or so largely because I grew up with uh, what's called auditory processing disorder, and I just struggled with reading. So I had this program called Kurzweil 3000. When I was in college, which basically you scan your reading materials, and it reads it back to you and you can highlight and sort of talk to it. And it's the same technology that Apple and Siri uses today. Um, and so podcasting not only was organic, but also really helpful for me. And I think like you, we, we like to converse. So it it occurred to me probably six, seven years ago that it was a, it was my chief of staff at the time that was like, Hey, all these conversations that you have, like, with people like Eric Legrand, like would you ever be interested in, in recording that so that people can hear it. And that's how it started. And then it became a lot of fun, but it's a lot to do as, as I'm sure you're uh, finding out now.
1: It is. Uh, but I would, like you said, having the conversations, you can learn more about people that their, their lives and, you know, where they come from and just how they do what they do on a daily basis. It's very, you know, entertaining. And I love to learn, like you said, about people. I had, no ideas. I, myself, I'm a very visual learner because a lot of times people will tell me an idea and they'll say this and that. I'm like, I need to see it. Like, can you draw it up for me? Can mm-hmm. I look it out of paper? Like, that's just how I understand stuff and that's how my brain processes things. So it's funny that you said that as well. Like, you're there, like, you want to hear things, how it works. But um, I want to jump right into this, Paul, because a lot of times, you know, when we're getting into lacrosse and I love how it's growing in in this uh, country and just around the world, honestly, because it, when you, I remember watching how it, this goes all the way back to the Native American days when they were playing lacrosse. But you have been highly considered as the LeBron James of lacrosse. Please tell me how that name came about and how that really got you <laughs> into that mind, because we all know LeBron James and how yeah. his greatness has just been going on for year upon year. So talk to I me about that name and how you try to live up to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think... I think, first of all, you take it humbly and respectfully <laughs> and, and, you know, would never have expected when this New York Times writer put that in ink. I think it was in 2010, 2010 or 2011. There's this article that came out about what I was doing in lacrosse and how I was playing on the field. And ahead of that, like the, the headline of that New York Times article was, can this man make lacrosse sexy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then, and then it qualified me as the LeBron James of lacrosse and I remember thinking, damn, that's a lot to live up to. Um, but, you know, and then I've dissected it different ways. Like, you know what? It's, it's like nicknames, right? You never come up with your own nickname, you never sort of try to develop your own stuff. That feels contrived. So if that's how that that writer felt, um, what I never had expected was 10 years later, I'd be working on a film with LeBron about the story of lacrosse. <laughs> and, you know, you were at our premiere at Tribeca. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think as athletes, and you know this, you just grind, man. I mean, you set big goals, like wanting to be the LeBron James of your sport, or the Michael Jordan, or the Tom Brady, or the Abby Wambach, you know. And uh, and that's that's fine, and you should. But then day to day, it's hyper present. Uh, I love that about sports: is every rep you focus on in the gym, every practice you're you're looking at picking up a ground ball successfully, so that you can get into a dodge so that if the dodge is successful you can take a shot so that when you take the shot it either hits the net or misses or the goalie saves it and what's your react so present and um and then when you get out of it you you, you tend to enjoy sort of the exterior stuff but no no successful athlete i have ever met lives in sort of the future projections and those that do don't make it um you know, so I, I I loved it. I appreciated it. I enjoyed it. But then I went back to work. I would love to appreciate it. You know, uh, different comparisons as well. But that's uh, that's also just part of the entertainment value of sport.
1: It's crazy because I believe my injury would happen three days after that article was published, and then my injury, my hmm. article was published in the New York Times for different reasons. You know, four days after that. But um it's crazy just that, yeah. that time period. Uh, obviously. My injury but then that article that came out about lacrosse and I wanted to ask you now being you know this lacrosse superstar have you ever been you heard somebody say, wow, you're the Paul Rabel of Lacrosse or just, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't
0: know man I, I, I think uh, I think maybe one day but that would be uh, yeah I think you know we, we hope to have to leave some type of imprint. On the future generation of players. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is that it's, it's really fun going to SBs or, or going to mm-hmm. other sort of cross uh, discipline events. Super Bowl, you have a lot of NBA players and NFL players and baseball players, NHLers that are there. And what I've really enjoyed over time, and it's mostly because of my age, I'm 37 now, and pro sports is a young man's game, as you know. It's, you know, most, most of the average age in any pro sports league is 24. Um, but I've in, really enjoyed meeting stars in their respective leagues that grew up playing lacrosse. And at some point, like, hey, man, you know, I watched your YouTube channel. Hey, man, you know, I used to have your poster on my wall. And I've gotten that and floored because I'm watching these guys on SportsCenter being covered every day, you know? So uh I, that's the beauty though we all played multiple sports growing up i hope that younger kids and families and parents are listening to this now sport specialization that has taken over i mean i played basketball soccer i swam track and field played backyard baseball backyard football you know street hockey anything i could get my hands on um and so naturally if you see a lot of athletes at the top they all play different sports you know And a lot of them played mm-hmm. lacrosse
1: and i always say my biggest regret in high school was I stopped playing baseball and basketball because I put all my focus towards football. I was awarded a scholarship to go to Rutgers as a freshman, and I literally said, you know what, I'm stopping baseball and basketball. Yeah. And I look back on it, and I'm like, damn, I kind of wish I did play those, you know, my four years out of those other sports because, like you said, it's just that those that memories and being able to, you know, take different challenges that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you got it right, though, because the the (laughs) thing was the thing was is you had reached a level of expertise in high school to have gotten recognized by college to get recruited. Mm -hmm. And if we think about the race through sports, specialization is all about getting recruited. And the lesson for you E, was the same for me because I stopped playing other sports after my sophomore year Mm -hmm. was two things like when you know, you know. And you need yes. the parents' oversight to educate a 16-year-old. Because a 16-year-old will never fully know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so that's number one. And number two is how do you know? Well, there's going to be outside influences. Say, I'm ready to recruit Eric LeGrand. I'm ready to recruit Paul Rabel. Here's a scholarship to to show evidence to that. And until you really get that, keep playing multiple sports. And that usually doesn't come around till freshman, sophomore year, maybe junior year in high school.
1: Yeah, Mama Dukes was like, they're offering you a scholarship. That is your route, and that is what you focus on. Because yeah, we're not playing anything else. Exactly. Yeah, we're exactly. shutting it down now. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I want to get into a little bit of some of the you know intricacies of lacrosse. And obviously, I know you can shoot a ball 111 miles per hour, and the just the physicalities that you bring to the game. Can you talk a little bit about some of the lacrosse training and how it maybe can, I guess, replicate into some of the other like football, baseball, basketball? Obviously, yeah. a lot of different training methods, but. Talk a little bit about some of that lacrosse training and be able to get to that top peak of an athlete that you have been.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible sport. As you had mentioned, it's a Native American game. It comes from the Haudenosaunee people. Uh, before French colonists came over hundreds of years ago and saw this game and loved it and called it lacrosse, it was called Dehontique Wahes, which means they bump hips. And Natives have played it for over a 1,000 years in North America, and it's, it's known as a Warriors game. It's a tough game. There was a uh, 1956, maybe into the 60s, Sports Illustrated cover that had a Johns Hopkins player on it and it said, the tough game. Um, And I think lacrosse captures so many different disciplines of sports that I loved. So it captured the skill and discipline and agility of basketball, the contact of football, the hand-eye coordination of baseball and hockey and golf. And it was really an amalgamation of all those things Uh, I love that about lacrosse, and that's what gravitated me toward it And at a time where I was playing basketball and soccer more.
1: Interesting, because I I played lacrosse a few times in the the streets, and it was just a skill set that I never really acquired as a young age, but like you said, the hand-eye coordination, being able to grab the ball, then the physicality of bumping somebody, and then obviously I I didn't know all the rules, so of course, being a football player, I used to just try to take people out because... (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing out there, but I used to have fun with it playing in the streets. And is that something would you say you picked it up just in rec leagues, or like how did it come 100%, about? Hundred percent,
0: hundred percent. And this is the challenge of lacrosse. It's mm-hmm. no different than the challenge of hockey and golf. Is that mm-hmm. there's been this sports specialization curve. It's like club games going on. So mm-hmm. not everyone can afford club lacrosse. We couldn't growing up. I played rec sports, mm-hmm. and so I tried it because my neighbor was playing. And he gave me his backup stick. And like one of the reasons why kids pick up sports is to have fun and connect with their friends. And then we start developing competitive flair. And that didn't happen for me until probably seventh or eighth grade. But I was playing it because I was hanging out with my friends. And I had more competitive juice in hoops. I was a hooper. My dad grew up in Winston-Salem. And, and that was the stuff that I liked. Um, but as I, as I luckily played the game more and became more skilled at it, I started to understand it more. Um, and, you know, there's three reasons why kids stop playing a sport. It's either they're outskilled, they're outsized, or they're not having fun. Outsized is a big one because when we're younger, you know, you and I grow at all different rates. And if you just slot kids in based on their age, they can get knocked over. Skill, like lacrosse, like hockey, golf, baseball, hand-eye, it's like different than just going out and hitting someone, you know? And then fun is, is the big piece. If, if you don't figure out the skill, if you're too small, you ain't having fun, you're going to quit. And so we try to think about now at the league level, how do we keep more kids in the game? How do we get more kids in the game? How do we keep them in the game? You know, and there's transferable skills, right? Like my brother played football. I, I loved playing football. And like the idea of just going out and hitting, it, it translates over. A lot of defenders, a lot of the top defenders in the world in lacrosse have a pedigree of football. We're all state. We're up for player of the year in their respective region in high school football. Um, and, that's, and that's an amazing thing that I think about quite a bit.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about you off the field now. And uh, people know you for a little bit of your swagger. You know, you come styling out with the fresh suits. And I've known, I've been told that, you know, everyone looks for you with the beard and the chest hair. Come on now, tell me where all that swagger comes from, my brother.
0: (laughs) My Lebanese roots, my Lebanese roots, first of all. You know, my my dad's 100% Lebanese. Uh, we're second generation. So that's where I get all the chest hair from, I'd say that. And, uh, <laughs> probably probably ate, yeah, ate a lot of kale growing up and tofu and now drink a lot of whiskey. Uh, so I would say those, those three things. And then, you know, suits. And I think, you know, fashion is an interesting thing as we've seen it cross over to sports more and more over the last decade. Is that for a long time, athletes viewed our fashion as fixed. It's just the uniform. And then we had our practice uniform, and then we were off the field. We just wanted to relax. We're getting sweats, you know what I'm saying? And now, uh, I think, especially for someone like myself who retired, I don't have that game day uniform. So what's my uniform now? What am I representing on a day-to-day basis? Um, And so I like to put a lot of thought and sort of, um, you know, go through different ideas of of what I think, uh, you know, that look good, feel good, play good mentality all grew up thinking about.
1: Well, now I know that you're a whiskey guy. I don't know if you know, but I am i got my own whiskey company now, Eric LeGrand Whiskey. So I will be sending you a bottle of that bourbon, my brother, because you need to get I can't wait hot. to try it. You need to, I can't take, wait to try it. I'll take care of you in the morning with the coffee, and I'll take care of you in the evening with the whiskey.
0: There you go. There you go, man. <laughs> I got you all day, and I got your podcast during the day.
1: I, I love it, my man. I love it. So um, I know that we're going to get into a fate of a sport in, in a little bit with LeBron James and Uninterrupted and how that came about, but – I saw the interview with you on The Shop. Tell me what that experience was like with LeBron James and wrapping up with all those guys, Maverick Carter. You know, I love to be able to see how how diverse that you have been with all your interviews and things of that nature. What was that experience like for you?
0: Great people. I think we had uh, Drew Barrymore, Idris Elba, and Kyrie Irving also as guests and, so it was an eclectic group of people who are in, you know, different fields, right? Drew act had a legendary acting career. Now she's a television host. Um, Idris is, you know, an incredible actor. And and Kyrie is, I think, one of the most dynamic basketball players of the last decade. And certainly a, a talked about person and, I you know, has different views and all that type of stuff that, that he's not scared of articulating. Um You know, so it it was, and where did I fit in that, right? So I I was uh, having done a lot of work with Uninterrupted, you mentioned our film, but really trying to drive um, sort of reconciliation around lacrosse in the culture, right? And, And the way people view it, because I think lacrosse is not only a beautiful game and fun and talked about all the athletic skills and characteristics that go into it, but what's its image right now, right? And I think over the last couple of decades, its image was expensive and elite and exclusive and Northeast and white and preparatory and things like that. And, uh, you know, I think about this every day because that's not how the game was created, you know, and the game is for everyone. And so how do you not only tactically, when we talk about youth lacrosse and different initiatives that we're working on, tactically, confront that, but also how do you verbally discuss it. And, you know, when, when I was on there, we talked a lot about its native roots. We talked about, you know, sort of owning its reputation of what it is and what we're doing differently about what it can be and what it should be and recognizing its heritage and paying it forward. Um, so those are conversations that I look forward to having. They're, they're hard, but, you know, you spend a lot of time therapeutically understanding how to communicate with others and how to be open and honest and all that type of stuff.
1: And when you hear somebody that really doesn't understand lacrosse or doesn't know much about it, but what you have done building your own professional league, how do you respond to those people that may not be able to put that into, you know, into their own mind of what you were able to accomplish, obviously on the field, but now off the field and all this stuff that went into that? Like that, like I said, we're gonna dive yeah. into the documentary, but how do you explain what you have accomplished with the sport of lacrosse?
0: well it's a constant pursuit right um getting the league off the ground was probably the biggest um probably like the, the biggest challenge i've had in my life uh certainly as in my career um because i was playing and starting something new in the face of an establishment had loads of support but it was uh it was really difficult and now it's just as difficult just in different ways right you learn about human experiences and empathy are, are all uh, on a relative scale. But if we can access certain experiences that we've had to empathize with others, to understand this phase of difficulty in building the business now five years in versus what it was six years ago before we had even made an announcement, um, it's really hard. But in the end, e, it's not too dissimilar than what we started this conversation with, which is mm-hmm. as an athlete, you can aspire to be the LeBron James of lacrosse mm-hmm. and that's important. And now you got to take out, you know, your working boots and your gloves, put on your hard hat and go to work every single day and and sort of package that idea up and put it on the shelf and, and then revisit it later. And that was the idea with the PLL is like, Ooh, how could you ever think about creating something now with eight teams and a major media relationship with ESPN and 14, game weekends. And it's like, you know, we're growing to become the next MLS. How can you do that? Well, you have to, you have to put that aside and you have to focus on the task at hand, which back in those days, it was having conversations with players and and getting them familiar with what we were building and the idea and getting them then contracts and coming up with team names and, you know, talking to officials and hiring, you know, chief operating officers down to marketing coordinators, to legal. And it was just, laying one brick at a time, truly. And uh, and when I look back at it, I go, wow, that was a pretty amazing experience that we were able to go through. And I probably would never do it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would never do it again. But I, there's a quote that really stuck out to me there. I'm sorry if I mispronounced a you know, word here or there. But I remember you said for 14 years, it was hard to explain to people that you were happy doing something when you weren't happy. You were actually embarrassed, please elaborate more on that.
0: Yeah. And that comes through again, spending a lot of time in therapy and understanding how to access vulnerability for things that we feel ashamed of or embarrassed of and be able to communicate that. And, um, you know, what I was worried about when I made that comment on the doc, after I made that comment, I remember talking to the executive producing team and being like, Oh gosh, the last thing I want is some eleven year old somewhere in the country that looks up to me to say, like, oh, that's weird. I looked up to him and he's ashamed to be a lacrosse player. And the distinction was, no, I'm I I actually love this game. I'm so passionate about it. I'm giving up my role as a player right now to build the future of pro-lacrosse. But I was embarrassed around what it meant to be a pro-lacrosse player. That needed change. And uh the side by side E was my wages compared to my peers in the NBA and the NFL and, you know, the resourcing, the reputation, the stadiums that we were playing at, the fans that were not in the stands, things like that. Just, it was just constant. And when, you know, when you care so much about what it is that you do and those people who are over top of you don't, there's friction, right? And and I had felt that friction for 10 years and behind the scenes had sort of been learning and, finding out my purpose in lacrosse over time was to actually do something about it
1: well i I thought it was so cool in in that documentary of how much actual footage that you have had over and recorded over the years like i had no idea how much recorded you know footage that you had from years ago before you even knew that you would be able to create this documentary and collaborate obviously with espn and whatnot where did that idea come from i guess about recording all of this that was going (laughs) on behind the scenes
0: yeah well there was some stuff that when i mentioned you know call it nfl or nhl players growing up right now they said oh i watch your youtube channel there was some stuff that we just logged from my youtube channel that had been around for 15 years Mm -hmm. that never published but you just kept cameras going and then the other part was when we were actually building the pll i had that idea that was like i think this could be a documentary primarily because You go back to podcasts, right? You hear origin stories of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. of athletes, of, you know, league executives, and they tell these amazing stories that you and I love listening to and sharing. And if only I could have seen, you know, Dana White and the Fertitta brothers 25 years ago in Vegas, looking at the UFC and deciding to buy it for $2 million. If I could have seen that, that would have been so cool. So I remember thinking, man, what we're taking on is so mission-based, Let's record some of it. And guess what? If it doesn't work, that might actually be a better documentary. So let's just keep recording, and that was sort of my idea.
1: Wow. Cool. Yeah. That's insane to just even think about. But like I said, I just love all that behind-the-scenes stuff because it just helps build the story and narrate it. And I want to dive into some of these cold-cut calls that you are calling these players and trying to convince them to come to the professional lacrosse league when you're building this. Because, yes, you can say I have, you know, I was able to build this, but – no one really knows the background and how to convince players and what type of mindset that you have to be in and being able to accept failure and then also be able to enjoy the success that you yeah. have going through that. So tell me what it was like calling all the lacrosse players and trying to convince them to come to the PLL.
0: Well, the first part to acknowledge is that we were offering better wages. We were offering all of our players equity and health care. The latter two, they never had access to. And then the wages, we were offering them four times that they were currently getting. So you would think like, okay, this is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, and, and and frankly, that's why they take the calls. And and then you have 10 years of relationships built on different teams with Team USA and even the Team Canada guys that I knew. So different than, say, e, like two private equity suits coming in that had never you know met any players in pro lacrosse. They get a phone call, it's just not the same so it's one of your own it's a different type of charge right so that was phase one was always pretty easy and straightforward and wow you guys can do that where are you coming up with the money right mm-hmm. phase two which was more surprising and not expected was right toward the end right because MLL, our competitor was still operating at the time you learn that even in a bad relationship it's difficult to leave you know, we can think about our romantic relationships in the past. We can think about friendships that we've had that are toxic. It's just the, 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 the idea that the devil known is better than the devil unknown, right, is why people stay in toxic relationships. And, and the other thing about the devil unknown is it could be something great. But that's the way our minds work because in our most primitive state, in our modes of survival all of our ancestors you know they woke up every day trying to find food and and not be hunted and so that's why our our neuroscience is always wired to fight or flight like something bad's going to happen and that's okay it's just sort of understanding the principles of what our reactions are so actually phase 2 was more difficult and unexpected and a reminder of the psychology of the human race is like oh yeah they are going to get cold feet toward the end, and have some patience with them. and And that was some stuff that we went up against. It didn't come out in the film, but um, that was uh, that was unique. And then once you get them in, and we had that first game weekend, it was like uh, all in from here.
1: Well, yeah, obviously you dive into the psychological side of things a lot. I love that because it just gives you an explanation and understanding of where your mindset is and the reason why you, you know, you think and you're thinking the way you're doing the process, the way you process your your thoughts into action. Now you get an opportunity now, but while you're playing in the same league, but also recruiting players into your league, to have a right where they're gonna buy you out. I'll never forget you and your yeah. brother look at the numbers and figuring, out like, we can if we you know accept this offer, we can make a lot of money here. How do you go from yeah. okay now we can make this money to you know what? Go back to our thoughts and principles of why we're doing this now and not accept that type of offer.
0: Yeah, present moment and principles, as you had mentioned. So i uh I always stay so focused on on the present right that's that's why I've had the career that I had on the field and what we've been able to do in the p l l and so that present moment is also a reminder of what we want to do our principles our goals and yes that was a lot of cash that they offered us um but to me it was so easy to say no to because this it was one pretty, pretty close to, you know, the year prior where they were bashing our names and trying to, you know, take us down, Um, you know, and an athlete, you know, you're, you sort of grow up in the system, uh, remembering the loss from a year ago, remembering the way those guys treated you five years ago. You have long memory uh, when it comes to rivals and competitors and stuff. So to me, I was like, nope, not even thinking about it. Obviously, brought the the uh, the reality to the table. So, how much we could take, and it was more money than ever either of us had ever been offered or even considered. But um, but again, going back to the principal nature of what we wanted to do, which was bigger than not just offering a better uh, um, environment for pro players now, but it was changing the trajectory of lacrosse and reconciling with its past for the future. So that was ultimately why it was a split decision. Honestly, like, you know, a split second decision. It was, it, we didn't talk about it much after that day.
1: Uh, well, you had it all on the film. And to watch to watch Mike's reaction when you guys counted the money, just yeah. walk away like, like, yeah, like, yeah, thinking yeah. about all that money that's on the table, but obviously staying towards your principles and things well, like that. Well, the, fil- it,
0: the it. filmmaker's point of view there he is like, at that point, because we were at, that was championship weekend of year one. So we had had, so when you asked about the film that we recorded before, that was before we brought in our director or any producers or production partners like Spring Hill. It was just myself with our director of photography, guy who had worked on my YouTube channel saying, all right, let's also shoot for this documentary that we may or may not do. And then once we announced on TV, then we had a director come to us, Michael Doniger. Then we had filmmakers come to us and say, we want to produce this. So at that stage, when we got the offer, we started learning how to be, um, how to shoot timely. So mm-hmm. when my first instinct, when I get this text from Andy Merstein, instead of opening it, I tell our camera operators, I, I message the director, I got a note from Andy Merstein. He goes, don't open it <laughs>
1: <laughs> until <laughs> we're
0: ready. So, so we have all this anticipation coming and then the cameras catch up to us and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. You can open it. So I pulled Mike into that back room and that's when we both read it live. So there's always a little bit of, because you wonder, mm-hmm. I love documentaries, you wonder like, these have cameras on them all the time? <laughs> right? And so there's there's, there's an understanding of your director telling you, mm-hmm. like, don't open that. Because, you know, he knows I'm not an actor, so I wouldn't be in my game, so mm-hmm. we ain't going to be able to, you know, redo that scene.
1: That's actually awesome. Like, to bring the whole backstory to that, like, you get the text and now you're anticipating, you want to read it, but i got to read this, but I wait I for the the camera guy over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but please, you know, go into a little bit of details about the ESPN deal and being able to take this game to the next level and uh, just the behind-the-scenes work that it took to get that deal done because we're talking about the worldwide leader in sports and getting them to just say, you know, we have potential with this here. Obviously, like we talk about the grind and all the work that's put in, but – this isn't now being physical on the field. This isn't the work right that you deal with, you know, in the weight room sessions and those practice sessions. This is something where you really have to have a lot of thought and mindset of growing a business and getting, convincing them that, you know, this is the product that we have. The world needs to see yeah. it. How did that happen?
0: Yeah. Well, we had to, uh, we had to build reputation. We had to build credibility and we had to build viewership numbers. And our first media deal we struck was actually with NBC and Peacock because ESPN, you know, needed to see it. And we had guys at NBC that took a bet on us and we're so grateful for that relationship. And we were able to prove for the first time in pro lacrosse history that people would watch. Uh, And it was a grind, but you learn the media business. I knew nothing about broadcast cable outside of what I would read on variety or, you know, sports business journal, but actually getting into the weeds of programming and uh, timing and, and advertising, whether it's in game or spots and dots, like all that stuff is uh is a lesson, you know, on the ground, and uh, we grew year over year, and we then learned what it was to properly pitch a network like ESPN that, you know, is the worldwide leader for a reason because they have not only 24-hour programming to support their live sports, but they also have an incredible social presence, which gives you unlimited inventory if you think about promotional and marketing access because. We can put out a tweet every other second if we want. And that's different than, you know, more of the rigid television, you know, daytime programming. So uh, there were all those reasons to join ESPN. And, um, you know, we built relationships with Jimmy Pitaro, who's the chairman of ESPN, to Burke Magnus, who's the president, Dan Margulis. Like, they just got a great team over there. And uh, and that's really important too. You know, as entrepreneurs, which we still are, co-founders, you know, and, and, and that's rare in sports because you usually have seasoned executives come in at some point in any startup phase. Um, you know, we're entrepreneurs because we're lucky enough to get to choose people who we enjoy working with. And, and that's a big
1: piece. That's a huge piece. And I'm glad that you actually brought that up because I wanted to ask you what it's like working with your brother, obviously, when it comes to business, a lot of times people say business is business. Well, now doing it with family members and knowing your brother for as long as your entire life, you know, and now having to go into the business role with him. How do you guys have conversation? Do you guys set boundaries? Do you guys set, get yeah. over those boundaries? You know, when you grow up wrestling with your brother, you know, knocking each other around, like, do you still have at, at an adult age when he, just, when he tells you no or you say this? Do you kind of have that bark back at him because that's your brother? Or totally. do you have those boundaries? yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean there's a reason why people say don't mix family and business. Mm-hmm. You know, is that and, and the same reason why when we all go home for the holidays, the same fights take place and all that type of stuff, right? It's family patterns. It's best um, example I was ever told was actually from my former sports psychologist, John Elliott. And he was like you take a, a sheet of paper at eight by eleven and you fold it for the first time right in the middle, you fold it in half, all right, and you take and you take it apart. How difficult it is, if ever, can you create standalone new creases in that paper. The original one is always there. And that's how I think about our reactivity in our familial relationships and why when we go home as mature adults that have done so much work on ourselves and so on and so forth, we fall into the same patterns. It's so much easier for that crease of paper just to go back into its half fold than a quarter fold or a third fold. And uh, and it can be done, but it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of repetition and it's never just one one time and done. And um, so that, that makes sense probably to anyone who's listening with a family member or something like that, that they've worked with. However, what I would say the benefit is, which is, uh, comes in spades, is when you're taking on something complicated, like building a pro sports league, where there's so many different businesses underneath that, uh, you need to have a co-founder that can give you the love and support that is unrelenting, um, that is permanent that you get in a family member. And I think that that uh, for both Mike and myself was superseding of any other sort of short-term conflict. And as we work to grow our relationship through this business, we start learning more about each other and our hot buttons and ways that we can support. And one of the things that we often say, and we share this with the company too, because as the, as the business grows and we all experience things like, we're trying to, we're, we're usually operating most times from the best intentions. And everyone's best intentions at the PLL is to move it forward, to make it into a big success. So if you're differing with someone within your business unit, or if I'm differing with Mike, sometimes it's helpful just to step back and say, hey, we both want the same thing. Mm -hmm, Right? And so where are you coming from? Here's where I'm coming from. And that usually diffuses any type of steam of you're not seeing me, I'm not seeing you. It's like, we actually want the same thing. Let's see that together.
1: Yeah. And I believe... Mama Dukes, my man, she helps me out on a lot of stuff when it comes to the behind-the-scenes work with my businesses. And, you know, we butt heads, too. We go at it all the time. And day, the, 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 I'm like, that's my mom right there. So, you know, I got to watch yeah. what I say and how I react. So, totally. it, as you said, you know, because you want to keep that same respect. But also, you know, sometimes you, when things aren't going right, you get a little fiery. And so I understand yeah. that relationship and I respect yeah. it. You know, one of the other things I really respect about you is you had a long, you know, professional lacrosse league career. But you showed the very end of your career in the documentary Fatal Sports. What was that like for you now to show the ending of your career and the injuries and battling back compared to when you're at your peak and you're dominating, everyone's seeing that. But now with the Fatal Sports and someone never watched the cross before, you're seeing you at the end of your career and the battles that you went through trying to overcome injuries. And can you talk a little bit about some of that and being able to battle back from those injuries?
0: Yeah, I, I think it was different, but it was also a really important story to tell. Is uh, is when we're at our end, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Dylan Thomas's poem uh, "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night" is is how every athlete feels toward the end of her or his career, and um, being honest with that and showing that is, I think, more powerful than you know the same old documentary of an athlete at its peak. Um, would I have loved to have, you know, had that sure, of course, but, uh, that's going to be for the next version or versions of myself and professional lacrosse. Um, because that's what we're doing to take the PLL to the top is creating more global recognition and national fandom such that, you know, when our current MVP, Trevor Baptiste, uh, has enough fandom and interest for there to be a documentary on his moment right now, we'll get that, you know, and that's satisfying for me to know that there will be players downstream in the next one, three, five, certainly 10 years. that grew way more awareness and attention than I was ever able to touch.
1: Mm. And the big thing, as we know in the world that took place in 2020, just how crazy things were and the ups and downs and pull at each other's throats but you made it uh, make sure that it was right in the forefront that you would take a stand for social justice and being able to empower many more different races into the professional lacrosse league and being able to grow that sport what made you go into that and just uh, it just shows your character obviously as a person but a lot of at a time where people could have just said you know I'm not going to touch this at all I'm just going to stay focused on what we're doing building this business how come that was important to you?
0: Well, is is the core principle of of our mission, which is uh, was not only trailblazing the future of professional lacrosse, but also honoring the heritage of the game. Mm-hmm. And the heritage of the game is indigenous, and and so if we take all of our personal views and our personal experiences, which are all very different, um, there's one thing to to share that and to um, advocate, and in some cases. Um, get out there and protest, march, donate, read, educate, share all that stuff is important for individuals, where the crossroads was, as you had mentioned, with your business and with your league, which you know there's famous adages from Michael Jordan that says it said, you know Republicans buy shoes too, and you know most of the time leagues and teams and businesses were supposed to stay neutral and if you look at the history of sport. And the advocacy, which is usually on the front line of you know, system, understanding systemic racism in this country to LGBTQ rights to women's uh, equal pay, um, indigenous rights, you name it. Like there are athletes that have used their platform and notoriety being that person in the arena that shares their viewpoint. Fewer leagues. In 2020, we saw leagues stand up. And I think that was really important because of the way that society has evolved and frankly, our country has become more splintered, um, is that we leverage the opportunity to, when we aggregate, especially in sports, people from all different walks of life and views, to have a conversation and not to, and not to just say, this is what should be and this is how I feel, but welcome the conversation. And, and in the end, you know, going back to the entrepreneur's journey, we're lucky to get to choose the people that we want to work with and relationships we want to build. We're also in a position where we can share the way we feel and, and hopefully ignite healthy conversation and debate. Um, and it was a lot easier for me to do that um, because our sport is an indigenous game. And some of my closest friends and some of the best players in the PLL are black and So let's invite that opportunity to discuss what their experiences are um, and what my experience is and what Lyle's experience is and and the collective, right? Because you have to have the collective. Um, I don't think it was a coincidence that that being so important to our mission when we went to go build the PLL in 2019, that we had that opportunity in 2020.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, so well said. And, you know, I I commend you for that because, It just goes to show your standards and what you want to do to grow the game and you stood by your words. And I want to think about what do you think someone now that's, you know, seven, eight years old looks at the game of lacrosse compared to when you were seven eight or eight years old looking at the game of lacrosse, how much different is it now? And just knowing that there is a future compared to when you were making $6,000, you know, for playing the game to now where it is today. how, How do you think that the game has grown in that capacity?
0: man it's it's so different and it's a good question that i should probably journal on more and more because it's uh it, it helps helps with reflection and and i think satisfaction and uh it's, it, that's, that's always important as part of like our gratitude in life is is uh lacrosse is in a much different place than it was when i was seven and eight years old it was hardly televised then um, now people are in our industry are talking about whether there's too many games on tv and if that hurts people's attendance <laughs> you know and so so i mean there's that there's social media there's the stars of the game there's the diversity in the game now versus then and where we want to go 10 and 15 years from now and um so i think i think young boys and girls are far more likely to play this game feel more invited feel more included than they were 20 years ago
1: that's fantastic and so it's always about the growth of the game, and I'm glad that you were able to do that and you, you know, leading that way and engineering it. I want to, st- uh, to say thank you for coming out, but um, our, our, our Plymouth Rock Insurance and New Jersey Teachers Plan of New Jersey, the Teacher Plan of New Jersey, they are our big sponsors of this show. I know your mom was an art teacher. So I would love for you to, you know, tell me something about an educator that has you know, impacted your life. I know you may be biased, but if you can just dive into maybe a story that someone that really helped you along your way in helping you, you know, in your education. Obviously, you said you were big on audio and learning that way. But is there someone that really yeah. comes out to you throughout your journey?
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to give a shout out to my mom, um, especially because of the creative influence that comes in through the discipline of art. And a lot of what I bring to my career—not just on the field, but what I do in the PLL—is think creatively, think abstractly, draw outside the lines. Uh, those are types of things that, that you learn in art, and you know, I I uh, still to this day will get out an easel and a canvas and to take some acrylic and try to express different views. And I think that uh, that I'll only be doing more of it as I get older. So some of the stuff that Um, you know, that we worked on together and we still try to do paint days together. But when I was younger, um, may conflict with the rest of the school system that wants to be more regimented and logical and math based and science based and history based. The ability to get art and the creative arts uh, as part of your day to day has uh, has led me to so much that I've done now in, in my current career.
1: Well, thank you, Plymouth Rock, the teachers in George of in New Jersey for this podcast. And also, Paul, thank you for being able to be a guest on here. As I was a guest on yours, I appreciate you yeah. coming on ours hours and sharing just so much knowledge and perspective and you know, just the psychological aspect of an athlete and now going into your business life and being able to share those stories. It's honestly a pleasure to talk to you, my brother. And thank you again. I'll make sure I'll be getting you that whiskey and that coffee over there. <laughs>
0: Uh, I appreciate that, man. It's always such a pleasure to see you and have a conversation with you. And uh, we'll get you to a game this summer uh, when we're in New York.
1: Absolutely. You already know, my man. Thank you for listening to a Cup of Believe podcast. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all audio platforms.